0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. Okay, let's look to the word here, Matthew chapter 10 this morning. I've already sort of uh, prepped you a little bit. You always know, right, if the pastor's praying and he says, man, Lord, this is a difficult passage that it's like, okay, buckle up, get ready, right? And there's no way around that. There's no way around coming to a chapter in Scripture where Jesus commissions, calls his apostles, he equips them, he sends them out, he says, there is a work for you to do, and in a nutshell, he basically says, and you will probably die. How do you come to a passage of scripture like that and be like, oh, okay, this is great, you know? When we're confronted with things like this, we have to take it seriously and we have to consider the call of Jesus and and certainly there's aspects of this that, yes, there is a portion of this passage that is specific to the apostles, but quite honestly, very little, very little. I think more times than not, we want to try and suggest that it is, that more of the chapter is just for the apostles and not for us. But that's not the case. This is for us. This is for all believers. You don't have to turn there, but I want us to just consider for a moment, just like we did on Wednesday night, let's begin by just a consideration of Matthew 28, 19, which as many of you know, is the Great Commission. That's what's right there on the wall over there. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the first board, they're making disciples of Christ. That's what we can all as believers, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, you can be confident that there is at least one, though there are many, there is at least one. One thing that the Lord has said you as a believer, I want you to do this. I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are all called to do this. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, if you want to, right? He didn't go, here's an idea, here's a thought. Maybe every now and then do this. No, these were Jesus' parting words where he said, this is is what I have for you. This is what I want you to do. And for us as believers today, I think we often say like, that we want revival. right? I pray for this on a regular basis. I say I'd love to see revival, and I'll speak just for me this morning. If I'm saying I want revival, I need to ask myself, well, what am I willing to do about it? What am I willing to do to be a part of bringing about revival? Are we willing to do what Jesus has called us to do? And I'll give you this on the front end. There are some different things that Jesus has called each of you to do. so we've got to remember that. Just because one person is doing one thing doesn't mean, that well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Jesus has something for each of you to do in order to fulfill the Great Commission, but rest assured, the Great Commission is still chief. We are still to be a part of that work, even if it comes with some risks and some sacrifice. The promise, ultimately, is that Jesus is with us, which is a wonderful promise. Jesus says there in Matthew 28, And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. But notice that that encouragement is within the context of fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm not suggesting that Jesus is somehow absent at other places. He being God is is all present, but I do think there's an implication there that his promise to say, I'm with you, it should be considered within the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's not a separate thing. Hey, do this, and oh, by the way, just to encourage you, I'm with you all the time. It's do this, and I'll be with you. And you know what, guys? I want this. I want this in my life. And you might say, well, you're a pastor. You're preaching on this right now. Aren't you doing this? And there's a part of this. Yes, I'm fulfilling part of my calling right now, but I can tell you that I fail in fulfilling the Great Commission on a regular basis. I fail at it. Why? Because sometimes I'm a coward. Because sometimes in fear I just, no, I I, I don't I don't want to do this right now. I want to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit to compel you to be a force for good, to go out and to fulfill the Great Commission, to be about making disciples. But I'm aware there's also a lot of this work that needs to happen in me too. How can I expect you to do something that maybe I don't do on a regular basis? Listen, as I was studying this week, the Lord was dealing with me in my life and in my heart. God's working in me and it's hard. Because it seems like the deeper I go with him, the more he's asking me to let go of. And I don't like it. The words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew in chapter nine in verses 35 through 28, if you look just a few verses back from where you're at, they're echoing in my mind. We've read this a few times now. It says there in verse 35 of chapter 9, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest see jesus as he sees the crowd he's moved with compassion and he says there's a great harvest there are many in need but the laborers are few there is more of a harvest than we have workers and the implication is will we join him in that work but here's the thing for this work to be a reality in our lives for me when i look at this and i think jesus You had compassion on the multitudes, people that were difficult to serve, difficult to love, people that were cast out, rejected, and it came with great sacrifice. No one one has demonstrated greater sacrifice than Jesus, but that's what he calls us to. He calls us to join him in this. And so as we rightly as believers should look at this and go, okay, I want this in my life, but it's hard if we want this as a reality in our lives, what we need to begin to do is to see the world the way that Jesus sees it. And as we discussed on Wednesday night, far too often our problems, our concerns, our cares are obstructing our vision. In a desire to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world, we end up seeing just the things that are going on in our lives right in front of us and it's clouding our vision. And we need to be willing to gain a better perspective to allow the Lord to change our perspective and to begin counting the cost that as we pray, we would also be ready to go. Because here Jesus says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. He calls us to pray. But what does he call us to pray about? Pray the Lord of the harvest. So Jesus, the harvest is his. It's his work. It's not our work. But we're praying to him that he would send out laborers. Well, what are we praying? Lord, send everybody else out, not me. Lord, there's got to be somebody else that's called. I can't be called to this. No, we're praying to say, Lord, do a work in my life so that I'm ready to go. So that I'd be willing to do what you called me to do. But it's not easy. There's a cost to following him. There is a cost to becoming a laborer in the harvest. There is great reward in the end, praise God. But in the meantime, it will cost you something. And far too many, oftentimes myself included, I've considered the cost to be too high. No, Lord, not that. I'm not ready for that, Lord. I'm not ready to give that up. I don't Lord, I thought this, I thought this was of you. Lord, I thought you called me to this. What whatever it may be, we find ourselves, I find myself trying to convince myself that what I'm holding on to is okay when God has said, let go of it. I'm calling you to something new, I'm calling you to more. My own life has been a constant struggle, a wrestling between what I want and what God wants for my life. Yes, I am a pastor today. I fought that for years. Years I fought that. Listen, what some of you know and some of you don't know is my mom was telling me I was going to be a pastor from the time I was five years old. Five years old. And I spent my entire life growing up saying, Mom, stop saying that. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to do it. Rejected any idea of it. It wasn't even on my my mind. Then I went off to school with all sorts of other plans. And God got a hold of my life and radically transformed me, saved me. And even then it was like, okay. Well, now I'm going to go do this for the Lord, right? He came and he said, no, you're not listening. He used a guy who I never would have expected to come to me and say, you going to be a pastor? I mean, just out of nowhere, out of nowhere, like a question, like why did you just ask me that? What's wrong with you? I think he had an out-of-body experience. He didn't even really know. I don't know, just came out. It's like a donkey that speaks, right? It's been a, a struggle, a wrestling. And praise God, though, he's relentless and he keeps pursuing us but with every step, every every milestone, if you will, from, from at least for me, where I once was to where I am now, there's been something more. And I'm not saying that God is unjust in this. I'm just saying that he takes us to a place and we sort of get comfortable there. And he says, you ready to go? Here we go again. Here we go again. Now let's go to the next step. And as we look at scripture, and as we look here at chapter 10 this morning, we see much of what comes with a life on mission. And it's not, it's not wonderful. (laughs) Serving God is awesome. Let me tell you that for me, being where I am, there's nothing now that I would rather do. Nothing. Nothing ever crosses my mind. I'm doing exactly what I believe the Lord has called me to do. And it is fulfilling, but there are times when it's hard. And I think for me, I even recognize that Lord, even in the hard moments, it's still way better than a lot of people who have gone before me. And because of that, Lord, am I I as radical, Lord, as you want me to be? Do I truly have a willingness to go where you say to go, to do what you tell me to do? But ultimately, if I truly say that I am called and commissioned by a king, do I have a choice? I think sometimes I foolishly think that I do. And so we see here at the beginning of chapter 10 and verse 1, and When he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And what we need to pay attention to here is that some translations, maybe even yours that you're using this morning, say that Jesus summoned the disciples, which in the original language is more of a military term used by a commander who's gathering his soldiers together and giving them orders. This is what Jesus was doing here. This is what the language was intended to evoke. That here he's bringing his soldiers together and he's saying here's your orders this is what you're going to go do and so this is their commissioning and though this was directed first to the disciples here Jesus deals with us similarly he calls us he equips us and he sends us out and here the disciples are given authority in the name of Jesus to perform signs and miracles And these things were a mark of an apostle at this time, but we know throughout history that other men and women were able to work such miracles in the name of Jesus. So while certainly these things are specific here to the disciples, God has moved in miraculous ways, and it should not be assumed that God cannot do such things still today. And now we get a list of the apostles here, all 12 of them now accounted for. It says in verse two, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. It's intentional that Matthew puts Judas's name last and mentions that he would betray him, but lest we think that Matthew is being all high and mighty, notice that Matthew includes his own profession when he lists his name there, which as we've considered as of late was not a well-respected profession. So here we have a list of the apostles and it should be noted here, especially as direction is given to them, uh, as we'll see here shortly, that some of this is specific for the apostles, okay? Uh, But as we progress through this, it becomes more general in its application. and We can take lessons from this around those who seek to live their life truly on mission, surrender to Christ, that we can expect certain things to come. In verse 5, we read, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so the gospel we know was for the Jew first, and then the Gentile. At this particular time, it was to go to their Jewish brethren. This is what they were sent out to do, to begin preaching the gospel of the kingdom to their brethren. Now this, of course, would be an example of something specific to them, not to us. We're not told today to take the gospel only to the Jewish people because we know in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says we're to take it to the ends of the earth, to all people, all nations. And so that's the truth and the commandment that stands still today. And he says in verse 7, And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. As the disciples are sent out, the message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or is near. And what this really means is that Jesus, the Messiah, is here. He was there. And we continue to preach a gospel of repentance. We continue to preach a gospel of the kingdom, stating that the kingdom is coming. And at this particular time, though, Jesus was there. He was was near in this way. And just as Jesus was healing and ministering to the outcast, to the broken, to the marginalized, to the oppressed, Jesus says, go to the same people. You see, we're called to take the gospel to all people. And oftentimes that means to those who are ignored by the rest of the world. It may not be glamorous or easy. But if compassion is our motive for ministry, which it should be based off of what we see in the example of Jesus, we can't ignore those in need. Listen, there are certain places where it's difficult to do ministry. Certain people in, in particular areas where it can be tough. But we go where Jesus calls us to go because we have compassion on those who are lost. If they are without a shepherd, we Go. And we can trust as well that just as Jesus equipped the apostles for ministry, that he will do the same for me and for you. This may not mean that we will raise someone from the dead, but as ambassadors of Christ and as ministers of reconciliation, we can trust that by the power of the Spirit, we can bring truth and light into the lies and the darkness of people's lives. Jesus says in verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. What's the principle that we see here? Because here, for many today, we would say, well, you don't go until you've planned and you don't go until you've raised enough money. For to do otherwise would be foolish and irresponsible, right? If somebody said, I'm called into the mission field and I'm leaving tomorrow, Well, have you packed anything? Nope. Have you raised any funds? Nope. We'd say, you're crazy. Why? Because that's our opinion. Now, I think to some degree here, this this shows how differently we tend to operate today. Now, I'm not suggesting that it is wrong for us to plan. I'm not suggesting it's wrong for a missionary today to raise some funds. But I think it's more important to rightly discern the call. What and where has the Lord called you? Where is he sending you? Once you rightly hear that, you begin to step out in faith. And you trust that he will provide for you. For the disciples, this was a lesson in dependence. Jesus said don't bring anything along because he wanted them to trust that he would provide, that God would care for them. He wanted them to learn that lesson. And oftentimes, he wants us to learn the same lesson. He tells us to do something, to step out in faith, and to just go to do it so that we can see His faithfulness. He wants us to operate by faith. And further, and we will see this towards the end of the chapter, if everyone is doing their part, meaning if the church is all doing their part, if not only the one who's going, the sent one, is praying and seeking the Lord and operating in faith, but if the church as a whole is saying, Lord, I want to be faithful, I want to be obedient, I want to be used by you, if we are all operating in line with the Spirit, then what happens when that person who's depending on God is in need of a resource? We go, hey, God put it on my heart to give you this and to care for you. And then that person goes, praise the Lord. It's what I needed. It's what I've been praying about. And you say, praise the Lord. I was praying too, and God put it on my heart. And these wonderful things happen on a regular basis. But too often we go, no, we got to figure that all out first, right? we got to make sure that everything's taken care of before we step out in faith. In verse 11, Jesus says, Now whatever city or town you enter inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That's pretty heavy right there. What is Jesus saying? He says, trust that those who receive you will be blessed. It will be great. It's going to work out well. There's going to be some who receive you and stay with them, spend time with them, trust that it's going to go well. And then there's going to be some who don't. There's going to be some who reject you. Move on. Don't worry about them. Shake the dust off your feet. And this should be a principle that encourages us still today as we go out and we seek to fulfill and to do gospel work that the Lord has called us to, that oftentimes we have a fear of rejection but we should know that listen it's okay there are going to be some who do, who reject you and what do you do when that happens you shake the dust off you move on you say hey praise the lord here we go let's go to the next town let's go to the next person Well, we should know here because up to this point, you might be saying, yeah, it's tough sometimes to really operate by faith and to trust that the Lord's going to provide, but I got it. I got the principle. I'm working on it. And so to this point, you might be going, hey, everything seems okay. I don't know that the call to discipleship is that bad. And then all of a sudden, verse 16 comes. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Does anybody know what wolves tend to do to sheep? They eat them. Okay? They eat them. They devour them. They destroy them. And here Jesus says, I'm going to send you out as sheep in the midst of the wolves. I'm sending you into the presence of your enemies. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, some of you were were homeschooled, many of you were public school, and maybe and maybe after homeschooling you went to college or something. And the reason I mention this is because you had a mascot along the way. Sometimes homeschoolers have a mascot too. Think of your mascot. It's typically you want something that sort of you know strikes some fear. Some schools pick a chicken. Sorry, I couldn't resist it. I mean, I know I just made enemies. Now it's getting real in here. right? Wait a second. You have mascots, right? What kind of mascot is a is a sheep and a snake and a dove. like if we put all those things together, I've heard some people say like the Christian crest, right? like your family crest, here's your here's your sheep, and then here's your snake and a dove, and like ooh, yeah. But here's what Jesus says. You need to go out like this. Sheep, sorry, but you're dumb and you're foolish sometimes and you're vulnerable. In this context, very much vulnerable. You're amongst wolves. They can devour you. That's the position you're going to be and you're going to go out as one who is vulnerable. But he says "But you're going to be wise as serpents. Why, why serpents? Why are serpents wise? Well, well, think if you were a snake. Most people don't like snakes. Most people, when you see a snake, you freak out and you run or you try to kill it, okay? Or you call somebody else to get it and to kill it, right? So a snake has to be pretty wise, has to be pretty strategic, has to think like, okay, I'm going out today. <laughs> I better be careful. I better hide in the grass because people freak out when they see me, okay? So you're to be wise like that. And a dove, who sees a dove all pretty and sitting there and is like, you know, just absolutely mortified by it? For the most part, you go, oh, it's pretty, it's nice. We release them at weddings. We release them at funerals. They fly around and they make people happy. Okay, so it makes a little bit more sense what Jesus is saying here. But you see, far too often we think that if something seems unsafe, that it's not of God. That if there is apparent risk, that it's foolish to go. And can I just say to you that that is such soft, modern American prosperity thinking? Now, I'm not suggesting that we just run into every dangerous situation without seeking the Lord and what he's called us to. But once again, we seek the Lord in prayer. We listen, we hear, and we obey. And that's a big part of the problem is people's lack of familiarity today with seeking and hearing God's voice. So much noise, cacophony of, of different opinions and voices and, and the busyness of our lives. And, and in some cases, a, a lack of real input from the word of God because we're not making spiritual disciplines the most important. And then we want to be able to go, well, what is God calling me to? Or we want to be able to discern his voice. Well, are you practicing hearing his voice, listening to his voice? And then when you hear, you trust him and you go. And some people say, but, but if you go, you might die. And we ought to say, yes, I might. But then people go, well, it's not a good idea then. You shouldn't go. If that's the risk, if your life is, the, is, is what's on the line here, then you shouldn't go. And what do we then immediately communicate to a lost and dying world? Fear and that this life is more important than the one we say we're living for. How does it communicate anything but? You see, living for Jesus is not safe In the eyes of the world, it's not. If you're doing it, if you're really stepping out in faith, to the rest of the world, it looks foolish. And this doesn't just apply, by the way, to the heavily persecuted areas. And so, yes, it's easy for us to go, yep, I can think of that missionary that went to this area and lost his life. But it's also about leaving a job with all the comforts and necessities that everybody tells you that you need. That can seem foolish or unsafe. It can be giving with great sacrifice, giving maybe beyond what you feel like or what the world is telling you you need, but because you feel called to it, because you know the Lord has said, I need to give this, I need to support this. It can be risking your reputation, risking rejection from those in this world, making yourself an outcast in the workplace because you stood for truth. But the question is, are you willing to be obedient? All of those circumstances, those are real risks. Those are real things that can seem unsafe we're not exempted from them you see Jesus calls us to go to the wolves and that makes us vulnerable but as serpents and as doves our character while with them commends Christ if we come with wisdom and we come with a purity of heart no ulterior motives but a willingness to just serve out of love and compassion it commends Christ and so we're called to go Regardless of the risk. Now Jesus says, But beware of men, verse 17, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Praise God for that. You see, you may not be brought before councils and scourged. That may not be what's in the future for you, although it may be. For some, it may be. And and, and whether that's because you travel internationally for missions or because persecution just continues to make its way through our culture, who knows? But you never know what door the Lord may open for you, even to be amongst influential people, to be amongst high-ranking leaders. Listen, it continually amazes me the open doors that the Lord has often given me and I am far from unique in this regard. We don't have enough time to go into it. When I was in South Sudan in the war-torn part of South Sudan, it was one of the first times that they were signing one of their peace treaties and Colin Powell, it'll give you kind of a inside into the time and was in the country, but he was up in the capital city. And so each of the other areas were uh, having their own little celebrations for the signing of the peace treaty. I'm in this little village at this time and they begin to put together sort of this makeshift parade and all of the highest ranking officials in that area are sort of come together, one of which was a high ranking uh, member of the Sudan People's Liberation Army. And we're just standing there watching this. And then all of a sudden, a big guy, one of the biggest guys I've ever seen, points at me and he says, you here. And I think to myself, I'm looking around. Me? And they bring me up on the and and, and please don't think this is some, this isn't like Washington D.C. where I got in the middle of a field here. Nevertheless, there's all these chairs set up and they're doing this big procession. And I walk up and there's a guy in his uniform sitting right there. I don't know what rank he was. But the guy looks at me and says, "Move," and then he puts me in the seat. I'm just there as a missionary. I don't know any of these people. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting next to the colonel or general, or whoever he is, in this in this area. Now, fortunately, this was a peaceful thing. Okay rest assured, I was terrified. I'm like, well, I'm, never, I'm never going home. What's happening to me right now? I'm being conscripted into the Sudan People's Liberation Army right now. There's going to be a uniform on me. I'm never going home. There's wild things that happen. People that you meet, doors that the Lord opens, you never expect. Now, that can also be difficult for us because we go, well, Lord, what will I say? What will I do? How will I handle it? Lord, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't talk well enough. I can't... I, Listen... He says, the Holy Spirit will speak. God will move. He will work. You just be obedient. And now I would say, this is an area that I do think we should work to prepare in. And and so how do we do that? Keep reading your Bible. Plant the Word of God in your heart. Keep praying, seeking the Lord, getting to know Him more, developing a relationship with Him. Then you can trust that as Scripture says, you abide in me, He will do this work. You may not consider yourself the best orator or the one who can step out and is the the best apologist and and, and defending the faith. But man, if you're just regularly seeking the Lord and and putting his word in your heart, then in that moment, the Holy Spirit can move and work and take from within you things that you never even knew were there. Now here it gets more and more difficult. Verse 21, it says, Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. This is one of those difficult statements, but difficult doesn't mean we get to ignore it, to reject it, or to suggest it's for someone else. And listen, we need to understand that while the gospel is intended to reconcile, some reject it. And because of that, it often brings division in families. And there are some who will hate you, but they hated Christ first. And we demonstrate Christ by being willing to love those who reject you. Some of you have experienced rejection in your own families because of your faith. And certainly we see in other cultures that there's this sharp divide where families reject and even seek to put to death those who have turned to Christ. Praise God that we're not as well acquainted with some of those things here in America. We should count ourselves blessed and fortunate. But at the same time, I think it's made us a little soft. Praise God that many of us are blessed to have not experienced much of this in our lifetime. But note that it is not a matter of if, but when. That if we are truly living boldly, and that needs to be the clarifier there, that if we are living boldly for Christ, then then look at verse 23. When they persecute you, In this city flee to another, for assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And again, I think many people look at this and they try and say that that this is just about the apostles, but you're ignoring the rest of the New Testament and how every one of those apostles brings all of this to us and, and points it to all believers. And so it's not a matter of if, but when, as long as we are truly, boldly living for Christ. Why? Because in verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call all will they call those of his household? You see, many people, what this is basically saying is that some people called Jesus Satan, said he was working, his power was of the devil. I mean, he they defamed his name, they sought to malign him but what Jesus here is saying is is are are you above me are you better than me if if they did this to me and you call yourself a follower of me then why do you not expect that these things are going to happen to you and I think a question we need to ask ourselves is if Jesus was rejected despised persecuted then why wouldn't we be or even better why am I not why am I not you guys can ask yourself that question. I can tell you I'm asking myself that question. When I find myself in, in, in long periods of relative peace and prosperity, I find myself asking, Lord, am I being obedient? Am I doing what you've called me to do? And you know, a lot of people, they, they want to say, well, I'm, I'm not being persecuted like this, and I'm not experiencing some of these things because I live in a Christian culture amongst mostly all believers. Hmm, so how are we fulfilling that? How can we say we're fulfilling the Great Commission? because we're not called to the Christian country club. That's called heaven. Where everything is amazing and beautiful and, and 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 far beyond what we could have ever imagined or dreamed and we're there all of us, every tribe, every nation and every tongue who has has bowed their knee and confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? And and, and believed on him for salvation. Praise God for that time when we can go, yeah, I don't need to come, and not to suggest that this is bad or a burden, but I don't need to try and evangelize you today. Hey, do you know Jesus? Well, yeah, right? Duh, he's right there. That's, that's in the life to come. But today we can't use this as an excuse that we're in sort of a, a predominantly Christian culture. That should compel us even more to say, well, what do I do to get out of it? What do I do to find people who need? And, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter that we're here in the southeast and it's called the Bible Belt. Okay, there's plenty of opportunity. So if you're stressing about that, like, oh, no, he's going to tell me I've got to move right now. I don't want to move. No, okay, it's okay. There is plenty of opportunity. We just sort of fool ourselves sometimes. David Platt, well-known pastor and missionary, says this, the reality we must face is this, the danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ. We need to be willing to accept that. And, guys, again, I am not saying that we need to seek out danger and rejection, nor am I suggesting we get to say that we are pure persecuted when we're rejected for being obnoxious by witnessing to others with judgment and condemnation. Okay, that's not what I'm advocating for either. Praise the Lord. I told this person they were going to hell today, and they said some expletive to me, and I've been persecuted. Like, no, that's not how this works, folks. And we kind of chuckle at that, right? But that happens. That happens that's not persecution. That's you being foolish and not being winsome for Christ. But the other problem is that we are far too prone to sit back and be comfortable in our religious routine and cultural Christianity and then look at the radical and the dangerous life for Christ as something that only missionaries to foreign countries do. And then because of that, we're missing out on so much of what God has for us and how he wants to use us. The fact is, the more like Christ you are, the deeper you go in your faith, the tougher it will and should get. And the perpetual prosperity and ease that many experience shows that they're not going deep. In Romans 8:28. I mentioned this on Wednesday night. Romans 8:28. for all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We love that, right? It gives us confidence that God's always working even in difficult circumstances. We often, though, forget that in verse 29, it says that the reason that these things are working together in this way and that really that there's difficult circumstances in your life is so that you would be conformed into his image. We are to be conformed to him, made like him, but what if everything about his life is a packaged deal? That it's not just Jesus a la carte, but if I'm going to be conformed into his image, then that means I need to be ready to take on Christ and everything about his life. Does that freak you out? It's okay to say yes. It freaks me out. I will tell you, I can't, I can't share with you today, but Jesus is, is doing some things in my heart. Again, some things that are freaking me out. I'm not going to announce my resignation next week, but it's freaking me out. It really is because I, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, I, I'm pretty sure I'm hearing your voice here, but I don't like what you're saying. he says this in verse 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Guys, these are parts of this this is a part of God's sovereignty that that because we struggle sometimes to reconcile God's sovereignty with our free will, we can we can sort of wrestle with this. But here's the thing, guys. It says that not a sparrow. If there's a bird that hits that window right now, because birds tend to do that and boom right on the sidewalk, God knows. He knows that very bird. And the implication of Scripture, though I don't understand how it all works, suggests that. That was not outside of his control. And remember what Jesus had said to them not long ago Consider the sparrows. Are you not more precious than they are? The very hairs, verse 30, of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You are, as the glory of his creation, the chief of his creation. And so he says, Don't fear know that i love you know that i'm sovereign over you of all of creation the challenge for us is to begin to develop a clearer view of eternity that makes the view of this life and this world maybe a little bit fuzzier and listen that's that's what i want i'm not saying don't ever enjoy anything in this life again i'm not saying you need to feel guilty when god blesses you and listen we are in america all things considered it's a pretty good place to be and you know what this afternoon if the lord wills it i'm gonna take a nap on my pretty comfortable sofa i mean it's nice you know it's cushy i might even turn the fan on because i like the noise right put golf on because you sleep well to that even they're all talking like this and, so, and I 'm like you're out that's a good life i don't need to feel guilty when i lay down i'm going to praise the lord Thank you for this, Lord. So I'm not telling you you can't go out to lunch and be like, oh, thank you, Lord. But do that. Thank you, Lord. I know I don't deserve this. This is your grace towards me. And Lord, if you call me to something else, I'll do it. As hard as it is, Lord, I want to say yes. The greater your faith and trust in his promises and including the reality of eternity, that if you can get to a place where you can say, Lord, I don't fear the one who can take this life because you have eternal life in your hand. The more that you believe in that, the more you trust in that, the more you're willing to be led by that, the less tied you will be to this life. Verse 32, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Friends, I want us to take this seriously. I want you to take this seriously. Do our lives, do our words confess Christ? Are we bold in our stance for him? Do we take the Great Commission seriously? No excuses, no passes. You know, Jesus doesn't give impossible commands. He's not gonna ask you to do something that you can't do. Of course, with the help of his spirit. The Great Commission is not a theory or philosophy. It's up to us to just really consider, am I willing? Am I willing to do it? And listen, Verse 34 through 39, let's read this quickly. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Far too many people are unwilling to pick up a cross today and f- instead are finding their life in the pleasures and safety of this world, and in the end, they'll lose it. Far too many Christians have convinced themselves that the prosperous times in our country are what God has for them. Why? Because we've so faithfully poured out our lives for him that we've earned it or deserved it? No, it's just the blessing be of being part of many generations who have loved the Lord. But being a part of a country that was founded on biblical principles, not always carried out well, but founded upon it. But many of those times seem to be changing. Are we going to hold on to that, or are we going to be willing to say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do? Listen, I'm not trying to be difficult or hard, as I shared in the beginning. Far too often in my own life, I've tried to convince myself that I've done enough, that the peace and comfort I enjoy is okay, and I'll, and, and I'll tell you, the more I pursue them, the less I'm able to convince myself of that. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. If we've been commissioned and sent, we can't be tied up in the things of this world. i got to encourage you with this. Verse 40 to 42. He who receives you, receives me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. This ought to be an encouragement to us and we'll stop and we'll take communion here because what I want you to understand is I'm not advocating today that each and every one of us go load up on a plane, sneak into North Korea and never come back. Some of you may. Let's also be careful here that that I want to be a church that sends people. Over the last four years, we have exponentially increased our mission support. We've gone on mission trips. We're doing more. We're going to continue to do more. And I want to send people out of here. I want more missionaries saying, yeah, this is my church, my home church. They sent me out. I want to do that. So pray for that. Because there are some of you maybe here today or watching online that that's you. You need to go. But some of you may be going, but I, I don't know that I can. And, and that's not an excuse. You're saying, I just don't know that that's what the Lord has called me to. Or how can I possibly right now? Well, this is encouragement to you right here. You're still a part of it. Maybe you're one who gives even a cup of cold water to someone in the name of a disciple. But lest you go, oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's me, right? And some people are like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. You're still called to do it sacrificially. You're still called to do it even if it means that maybe you've got to give something up. Even if it means that, like many who have gone before us, that now offering support to this particular person puts your life on the line. Imagine that. God has a way for each of us to be a part of this work. It's about us seeking him and understanding clearly and saying, Lord, I'll do it. Father, we give you thanks this morning, Lord, for your word. Lord, we bless your name, and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to be used by you in this way, that you would call us into this. But Lord, Many of us here, myself included, need to, be, need to repent of the times, Lord, when we've convinced ourselves that you've called us to something else or that you haven't called us, Lord, to what you're clearly speaking into our lives. And as we consider your example and your life laid down, help us to do the same in our own. And so as we take care of communion this morning with pure hearts right before you, Lord, speak to us that it's through the death of Jesus we've been reconciled that we can today say we have the promise of eternal life. And so we look back and we rejoice in that. But we look inward also this morning and consider your life. And Lord, we're not greater than you are. We're not better than you. We seek to call ourselves servants of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We seek to call ourselves disciples, followers. And so Lord, we also recognize that your life was a demonstration, an example for us. That Lord, in the Sermon on the Mount, you called us to a different ethic, a kingdom ethic. How life was to be lived for you. Lord, you show us in the miracles the people that you went to, Lord. There's those very same people in our world today. We, ourselves, are even some of them. Lord, you came to us when others wouldn't. And Father, we realize that uh, maybe there's more that you want to do in our lives, to call us deeper, to live our lives more in line with you and your word. But Lord, we're also encouraged that you also tell us that you're with us, that we need not fear, that just as you declared to the disciples here on this last supper, that you will come again. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that and we recognize that. And I pray, Lord, by your spirit, you'd help us to draw strength from that. That as you call us to a life of picking up our cross and denying ourselves and living for you, even if that means giving it all, that, Lord, you're with us and you'll care for us. And so, Father, I pray that you do that work in each of us, myself included, Lord. Call us deeper. Call us closer. Give us boldness. Lord, this world needs us. There's a great harvest, but we've got to be willing to let go of this world, to see it as you see it, Lord, and to know and to declare the truth, proclaim the truth from the housetops, as it said, that there's a greater life and a better way, and it's with you. So help us to do that, Lord, with great boldness and without fear. Father, we love you so much, and we praise you. I pray for each of these here, Lord, as they follow after you today. Lord, we ask, go before us, lead and guide us. Be that good shepherd, Lord, that we depend upon so greatly. And we pray all of this in the matchless name of our Messiah, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.